Hey, Amanda. Hey, Kristen. How are you? I'm all right. Cold. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely getting cold here. Yeah. In November. Um, yeah, November. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not even... It's not even winter. It's not even close to winter. And it is getting cold. But that's okay. It's okay. We've got lots of cool things coming up. We've got a great interview today and so many awesome things going on in the community. We've got book club. We've got two more weeks of book club with, oh, yeah. I mean, no. Pause. <laughs> Time out. Hello, Monday morning. Yeah. It is book club, bite-sized book club. Keep going is the book we're reading right now. And we've got two more weeks left of that. And then we're going to be moving on to Elise Joy's Big Dreams, Daily Joys. Yeah. I always feel like I'm going to say it wrong. Kind of like work smarter, not harder. I almost oh my God. work harder. Right. It's the, it's like the yes. double comma phrases. I know. It's like, I feel like I'm going to get like word salad and it's just going to like wind <laughs> up all over my face. That's a perfect, uh, perfect way to describe it. Yeah. So this episode is awesome. We had an amazing conversation with Katie Rose. Yeah. She's just so cool. I met her at uh, in Tiffany Hahn's inner circle, and we clicked because we always seem to have the exact same issues and anxieties and imperfectionism issues. Yeah. And it was really fun to finally get to talk to her, like, for a long extended period of time yeah she had so many cool things to say and i'm i'm excited to share this interview with everybody and we would love it if you came and hung out with us in the community the new community over at the awesomeladiesproject.com slash crafty ass female it's totally free come discuss the episodes tell us what you love about the show we've got a cool uh thread going on about your favorite episode and if you haven't been to the community page yet we've also got a little survey where you can tell us your favorite moment from the episode and we'll be sharing those later on before the end of the year in in one of our episodes so tell us what you love about the show because it makes me so happy to hear about it it makes me happy to hear like what your favorite moments were because that was i think that was one of the favorite my favorite things that we've ever done is gone back and talk about what our favorite moments are yeah so i'm really excited to make lots more favorite moments me too this is this is awesome the next, guys to the next hundred <laughs> to the next hundred episodes so here is episode 102 with katie rose bye welcome to the crafty ass female podcast an audio show that talks about the resourceful ways we women are living our lives and the crafty projects we create in between we are your hosts amanda zampelli and Kristen tweedo and we believe you are a capable badass who already has all the tools you need to make beautiful things and make beautiful things happen. We're just here to remind you. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Katie Rose. Hi. So today we have Katie Rose Bye on. I've been wanting to have her on for a long time. She is in my Tiffany Han inner circle group and we always have the same questions and the same problems and we're like buddies. So she is a well-being teacher and reinvention mentor. And she has what I think is the coolest niche in the whole world. Uh, she is at rootedreinvention.com. And 
she teaches you how to reinvent your life without burning everything down, which I feel like is one of those things that like we always want to do. And it's like things are not working, like things are like really not working. And you're like, okay, well, let's just, you know, put it all in a dumpster, light it all on fire, and, you know, move across the country or to a different country or somewhere else. So, hi, Caterers. Let's chat. From hi. Britain. Yes. So exciting yes. when we have like. Can't you tell from the accent? Across the, the way. Yeah. Across the street? Oh, boy. Three thousand <laughs> miles across the street. Yeah. So you have to swim. It's too cold to swim now. Yeah. So hi. Hi. How are you? What an intro. I interrupted. Intro. Like you were gonna like expand on the intro. Sorry. Yeah. So tell us how you got here. <laughs> um. Oh, long story. Um. Yeah. So you kind of summed it up a little bit. I've spent my life trying to reinvent myself, or invent myself. So I think I was 11 or 12 when I first book, uh, first bought a self-help book. And it was Neurolinguistic Programming for Dummies. Nice. Um, it, out of my pocket money. I might have been a little bit older than that, actually. But yeah, like I've always just never felt like I've had a personality, never knew who I was. I'm only a child, which I think is part of that. Um, but yeah, I basically spent a lot of my life feeling broken and like I didn't belong before I even hit the teenage years where you normally feel like you don't belong so everything's just been my journey to try and work out who I want to be I've always been driven I've always felt like I've had a purpose but I didn't know what it was um went through a whole bunch of stuff that basically went down the self-help route and then the academic route and then the spiritual route so now I think of myself as melding the three and very much like Kristen said, it's about, I've got friends who like will just break up with their partners and quit their jobs and go traveling around the world for three months and things like that. And obviously like Eat, Pray, Love yeah. was very much a, a book that, that came out and I was reading it thinking this is really interesting and all, but <laughs> it just didn't, you know, I've got a husband and cats and a house. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I can't just, you know, up and leave everything. And a lot of things in our life aren't wrong for us like I tend to think that we never walk south when we want to be heading north so as much as people are like oh am I on the right track or am I heading the right way or I made a mistake usually they've just headed like northeast right. rather than so usually in your life there's something that you don't need to burn down and that's like your roots that's the thing that can give you stability while you have change Mine will also make their way up here at some point. I was say, and I, this, is, this is Ember. I checked <laughs> your, um, I checked, you know, your background, and you have a brother-sister duo, cats, as do I. Yes, they are. I think better than two random cats. <laughs> I've, had, I've only ever had sibling pairs. Yes, I love Please. that. No, Ember will make an appearance. Apologies slash you're welcome. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I think. Kristen, let me know that you were coming on and like that's a big part of your theme, like that that change can happen without total change of something. And this was so interesting to me because I was talking to Kristen and she's like, you know, because we've made changes since we started the podcast almost two years ago. And I'm like, 
yeah, but a lot of them were like big. Like for me, I felt like they were big, like completely changed the next direction. But it's interesting how I think, like when I look back, everything makes sense. From where I am right now, I say literally I was supposed to do everything. And then when the big changes happen, like the relationship big change in the summer of 2018, two summers ago, I tried not to change it. Or like I tried as long as I could not to make that change until it was the only thing that was supposed to happen. Like I feel like a lot of that, like I almost don't want to just toss everything up, eat, pray, love style. I want to hold on to everything until it's like blatantly obvious I shouldn't. Yeah, so two things on that. The first one being that I bet if you, as you say, like when you, really, Amber, as you say, when you... um, look back it makes sense so I would say someone says oh I did make a complete and out of change I bet if you look hard enough you can find the roots of that mm-hmm. so whether it's oh but you've done a thing in psychology and now you're writing fiction novels yeah but are you using some of that psychology and understanding people to make your characters right. um, and I say that because I'm a writer myself yeah. so <laughs> that's something that people have you know that's not a complete 180 for me right I'm always coming up with stories. I'm always trying to apply things to real people in my life when I'm coming up with the the ideas for the, you know, how does this work? How does this psychological theory pan out? Um, So I'd say one thing that, yeah, like when you look back, it may look like a load of random zigzags, but you're still heading north. You might be going east, then west, then east, then west, but you're still heading north, not south. That makes sense. Um, And then like you were saying with, the your change in sort of 2018 it's not necessarily that you don't ever reinvent things from the ground up but again I would argue there is probably something stable in your life and we are not taught to one of the things that really bothers me is we're not taught how to actually work out what does and doesn't work for us Mm -hmm. so thinking about the theme of reflection actually Mm -hmm. like I as a child was not taught to go oh, well, actually, this is really working for me, but this bit isn't, so I'll change this bit. But if I keep this bit growing as I go, it'll support me like some roots. And we just never taught that sort of skill of looking back on which bits are working. We either feel like it's like all or nothing or like we're stuck and we can't do anything. Yeah, because I think a lot of things, Amanda, stayed the same for you. Yeah. You stayed in the same place you were living. Your family was exactly the same and supported you the same and you went back to a job that was you know that you had roots in Mm -hmm. and I think a big part of like my story anyway is because like every time I tell my story I have to like sort of disclaimer like I have an anxiety disorder so I think like any change feels like everything's crumbling for me like I I don't know if a lot of women feel like that if it's just me. But it's like, it's that feeling of, I guess the, a little bit perfectionism, a little bit type A of like, I made this decision and we need to stay the course because in my head, I picture how the course should look with this decision. Meanwhile, you know, haha, says life, right? Like, so I think that's part of it too, that it feels like more of a bigger change and it really is. Like you guys are saying, there was stability. So yeah, looking back, and that's usually... I think that's usually because the thing that we're changing is a big thing. Like, I'm never going to say, oh, it's really small to change, like, an entire relationship. Or it is still a big thing. But I've also worked in, I've also worked as a mental health professional teaching cognitive behavioural therapy. And one of the things that we would often talk about is when someone had, like, a bad day, when they'd been doing well. Mm -hmm. And it's that sense about there's a difference between a lapse and a relapse. Mm -hmm. So there's that sense about 
I think a lot of us, certainly if you've experienced mental health difficulties as well, but I presume for other people to some extent, there's that sense of, oh, but I was doing so well. Ah, it's all crumbling. What am I doing? I'm reverting back to, back to, I'm going back to zero again. I'm back to, to where I was. I've made no progress. And having to say, it's okay to have a down day. We're all human. We all have emotions. We all have feelings. And equally, we all move in spirals. So it feels like you've gone back in a circle, but you've learned things, you've had different experiences, you've got a different view than you had there, whether you've gone up or down, which is the question I mostly get when I talk about that. They're like, am I going up the spiral or down? I don't actually care. <laughs> what I'm pointing out is you're in a different place mentally slash perspective wise than you were. So I think, yeah, particularly with anxiety and low mood and things that we can kind of feel like, everything should be perfect now, I should be cured, I should be fixed. Again, a lot of my issues were around being broken. So it was like, can I heal this? Can I fix this? But doesn't mean I can't have a bad day where I just think, do you know what, sod all of this, I'm gonna eat ice cream in my pajamas, but it's Saturday or whatever. And I don't have to go to work or have to do something. I love that, that. a lapse is not a relapse. That is such, that's a good, if I was Oprah, I'd say, that's a tweetable moment. Like, you know, she does that. But I think that was a great, like, line. I get that. Yeah, I think that that happens to me. I don't, not a lot anymore, but that would happen, you know, infrequently. And then I would feel like, oh, okay, now I'm back in the type of depression where I couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if I had the kind of day where, you know, right before my period where my hormones dropped and I got super depressed and super anxious and I couldn't do any work. And then for some reason, you know, then something bad happened. I burnt dinner or, you know, something, I made a mistake for whatever reason. And then it's like, okay, oh, worthless, uh, stupid. Um, obviously can't do anything ever again. And I should literally just go back into bed, go to sleep, and I'll just stay here until, I don't know, 2025? That, like, and so, like, the idea of, like, oh, okay, this is just a bad day? I'm allowed to have a bad day? Instead of just being a broken person? Mm. Like, that's brilliant to me. Like, to be able to get to that place and be like, oh, okay, bad day. that's a thing instead of being like oh fundamentally broken person now you have to lay in bed for the next five years because that's all you're good at (laughs) it's really difficult with those thoughts though isn't it because where those thoughts we do believe that and it's proof this is proof i knew it i knew i couldn't do that i love that yours is less dramatic than mine though because when i have a bad day it goes along the i'm wasting all the oxygen in this room (laughs) other people could be using this (laughs) and I think these days I'm able to come out of that a little bit quicker, probably a couple of minutes and I'm laughing about it and I'll go and tell someone or whatever. But at one point it was very much like, I'm wasting my life. I'm wasting oxygen that people need. I don't want to eat food because other people are starving and I'm not doing anything well with my life. And it's, that's the spiral I would go on. Oh, yeah. my thought. It's so bad. It's so bad. Like I would be like, I can't speak to anyone ever because if I, if I communicate with anyone, I will somehow make their life worse because anything I touch turns to shit. <laughs> and like, while I was, and like, these are things I literally say out loud, like to other people. And like, I know, 
like as I would hear the words out loud, there would be like 5% of me, maybe 1% of me, depending on how spirally I was, that would be like, that's probably ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But also there's like 99 to 95% of me that's like, no. Reacting to it and responding like, to it. I mean, There's clear proof that like I screwed all this stuff up. I just screwed this up. I just made this mistake. And clearly this is proof of all the other mistakes that I made. So I cannot be allowed to be around people. Like just honestly bring me to a zoo, put me behind a cage because, <laughs> you know, get a zookeeper to feed me three times a day because I shouldn't be around people. I will just ruin everyone else's life. I've ruined my life. I'm just going to ruin everyone else's life. And honestly, I don't even know what I did. I burnt dinner. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Although to be fair, I would love to just be sat in a room all day and be fed three times a day. <laughs> thinking that sounds like quite a good deal. Let me lay on the rock. <laughs> in the sun. Yeah. Right? People take pictures of you. That kind of sounds like celebrityism. Maybe, maybe maybe not that bad. Yeah. Like it, usually, there's usually a little hut where you can just see like an ear poking out, and everyone's really disappointed they can't see yeah. the rest of you. True. That would be me. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you can see my ear. The bad hashtags they would make up about you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I had loads of thoughts that they've gone, but that's yeah. I still remember breaking down in tears because I went to I was measuring out butter for some pancakes and the butter fell off the knife as I went to put it in the pan and fell on the floor and my legs crumbled under me and I burst into tears on the kitchen floor uh. and my husband was like I think you need help <laughs> and I was like yes could you help me out and he didn't mean that yeah uh, I still get this I, it's but yeah but, so my anxiety came out as intrusive thoughts. So I've never been like diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, but I've screened enough people. And in my level, when I'm screened, screened myself and my boss screened me when I worked in mental health, I'm over the cut, the, the sort of cut off. And these intrusive thoughts, they, when you say them out loud, when you write them on paper, they can feel and seem ridiculous. Although I still don't feel that. So I, I would still say to people, yeah, I was really concerned about like losing control of my hands and opening the door in the middle of the motorway or freeway, highway, whatever you call them in mm. America. Um, but like doing 70, 80 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. And like, and I had to sit on my hands because the thought was so powerful that I was going to lose control, that I was going to hurt someone, that something was going to go wrong. That's how my anxiety kind of came up. And it meant things like I couldn't wash up because what if I broke something? What if I hurt someone? What if I dropped a knife? It, just so many of those intrusive thoughts that, yeah, I think it, it can be part of just generalized anxiety, but they feel so strong in the moment. Yeah. And even when we say them out loud, I don't think, oh, that's stupid. I think, well, duh, you could lose control. Even though now I'm, you know, I've had therapy, I've had medication, etc., and I don't tend to struggle with them in the same way I used right. to. There is still that. I still believe the possibility of them without. Like, I'm not sitting there going, well, that's ridiculous. Even though I've told people and they've gone, really? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a completely understandable thing. Even though it feels like it shouldn't... I don't even know. It, it feels like a lot of things. There are so many things that it feels like. And there are so many... The, the, the language around what it feels like is still not fully developed for me. Yet I get exactly what both of you were saying 
Is that weird? <laughs> like, no, the, I don't think the, it's the weird. The piecemeal at all. of it makes sense. Like, <laughs> I think, but and and it's so physical, and it's so there's just so much about it that it just really just takes over. And then, how do you not want to just burn everything down and start over? Yeah. Like when that's happening to you, like when you you know burn dinner or drop butter on the floor, and you're like, shit, well. Let me go to a place where there's no butter. Yeah. I find, like, I don't know if, like, I just, I I don't know if it was you, Katie, that mentioned it somewhere, but, like, it kind of pisses me off that kids aren't explicitly taught these things in school. Like, you've said that somewhere on your blog, I think I read. Because, like, for me and a lot of people I know, it took to the breaking point of adulthood before you got help because you never understood what it was. Like, like I, I saw a therapist in my late 20s because it was the only thing I hadn't done be, to, to solve it. Like, I've just waited it out and, and like, months, months of that, the, the torture in your mind. So, like, it was just, that's so, that makes me so sad because I think help could get, could get done so much earlier. Yeah, and I that's kind of where I come from in terms of my my why, I guess, my reason for doing this is I went, so I went to, you know, I've done three mental health qualification degree level stuff. I've done every self-help book I could find. I was 16 when I bought How to Change Your Life in Seven Days by Paul McKenna. <laughs> and it didn't work in seven days? It didn't, no. I even, it even came with a CD. It came with an audio CD and everything. But... <laughs> it's one of those things I think yeah and then I tried the academic route and I tried spirituality and kind of like I'm I'm attuned in Reiki so I've tried some of that kind of energy woo healing side as well trying to fix myself trying to stop feeling broken and I feel like I've tried everything um and I've done counseling I've had counseling and CBT and things like that my own therapy as well as training to be a therapist in order to fix myself I mean, there's a joke that people who study psychology at uni do it because they want to understand themselves and they're trying to fix themselves. That's kind of a a running joke with it. But what I realized is that through all of this, when I did find kind of things that worked and found sort of scientific evidence that backs stuff up, even if it can't fully explain it, it sort of roughly backs it up. There's that idea that if we were taught these skills when we're not in a mental health crisis, so if I, if I can teach a five-year-old child that when they have a negative thought, they can go, this is a thought, not a fact. Mm-hmm. This is a thought, not a fact. My brain has come up with this thought, same as it comes up with my stories and my imagination. This is a thought, not a fact. There may be some truth to it. I'm not saying it's never got anything factual to it, but the whole thought. So like Christian, you were saying like, oh, I'm so stupid or I'm so rubbish or I'll never be good or this is proof that I'm not good enough or whatever those thoughts are. There's going to be some truth to that because otherwise you wouldn't have got it from anywhere. But I bet if you looked at the number of times that I spilt butter or the number of times you burnt dinner, the number of times you hadn't burnt dinner, you could even out the evidence for that thought being true. And if we're taught, why aren't we teaching seven, eight-year-olds this, this, to do this in school? Because this is what I did in one of my jobs teaching CBT was teaching people to go, when you have that thought, just ask, is that true? Is it actually true? And it's one of the most helpful. It doesn't change anything about the situation or the difficulty or sort of your emotional state, but it just gives you that. Oh, hang on. Maybe, maybe, maybe everything isn't a fact. Maybe this. I don't need to burn the world down because the world isn't, you know, on fire. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think what happens to me when I do this is, I'm going to be very honest here right now. 
as you guys know, I've talked about it on the podcast a bunch of times. I'm very good at cooking. So when I screw up at cooking, I get really down on myself. And so I will, you know, like, this is, this has come up. And so like my therapist will have asked me or Jeff will have asked me, like literally, you know, so you burnt dinner. How many times have you not burnt dinner? Like, you know, so you, you know, this happened. And, and most of the times it's not even like not fixable. Mm-hmm. And my answer is screwing it up once is unacceptable. And mm-hmm. then everybody is like, that's an impossible standard to hold. You would never hold anyone else to that standard. You have to stop being an asshole to yourself. And I don't have an answer to that. My, I'm, I'm not a fully qualified therapist. I am not currently working in therapy. I'm not licensed, etc. However, my question on that in terms of having, as, she, as Christian knows, deal with, dealt with my own perfectionism. And I say Tiffany has called me out multiple times on the live calls saying, I see you there with your A plus standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I would ask when you say screwing up, screwing up once is not allowed. Can you shift your idea of what screwing up looks like to one thing worse than what you did? Sure. And like most of the time when this happens, it's because my basic needs are not even being met. Like my anxiety happens because I I screwed up dinner because I'm already so starving that I can't do the dinner right. Or I have a headache. So I'm trying to operate and do things that I shouldn't be, you know, like I'm not operating at a I don't want to say normal base level because normal is not a it's a weird word here I'm not operating at a level where normally I wouldn't be quote unquote screwing up I'm Mm -hmm. either hungry or I'm tired or I have a headache and so like not realizing that the stove is right. right like that's going to happen more often And I would have more empathy and more compassion towards any other person who had not eaten or had a a major headache or any of these other things that like, you know, oh, you went over there to get some Excedrin or you sat down because your head hurts or, you know, you haven't eaten yet. Well, duh, obviously you're not at 100%. So why are you expecting yourself to be at 100% when you literally aren't at 100%? You can't expect a car to go, like, you know, the 100% of miles if you don't put 100% of gasoline in it. Right. And so I find being a teacher and just watching towards a kid, like, self-compassion and grace is also not a taught skill. Like, it's it's just not, like, parents would rather get the grade, get the grade, be behave, be behave. Like, it's it's drilled into them that they need to, you know, I'm guilty of it too. Like, why aren't we listening? Like, because they're having a bad day. Like... They just, or they have a broken home life, like, and it's hard for them to come to school and focus. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's also not taught. We try to say, like, one of my kids this week cried because he got a math problem wrong. Like, like a half hour's worth of crying. We knew it wasn't just the math problem. It was like this whole sea of things that we was upset about. But I said, you know, and I tried to just talk about the mistake. I go, you're not, you're a human person. I was like, machines don't make mistakes. It's like, you're a human, you know, like in their little fourth grade terms, but like, they don't get told that enough, I don't think. It's not. Well, none of us are. Like, this is, again, so as, you, as Kristen was talking, I was thinking, yeah, but we're not taught to reflect on, am I okay? Am I at 100% before we start cooking? Mm-hmm. 
we're not taught to question where we are at, at the moment, right. what we are feeling, what we are doing, what is and isn't working. So we're not taught those skills, but very much like you say, like there is that push for what success looks like. And I mean, certainly I work with, um, in my day job, I work for the local authority and I go into schools and things like that. And, and all of the education professionals are saying this, we can't even teach what we want to teach anymore. We can't teach. We're not teaching life lessons anymore. We're not, we were never teaching life lessons particularly. I had a 15-year-old a couple of weeks ago say to me that he'd written a letter to the Board of Governors saying, why aren't we taught how to, like, get a mortgage <laughs> instead of algebra? And I was like, yeah, that's pretty good, apart from the fact that your generation will never have a house. We'll ignore that bit. But, um, you know, <laughs> but there is that sense of we're not taught any of these skills. So, yes, they've started in some schools in some countries to teach, like, mindfulness Things like that, but we're not taught how to look after our own well-being. So you talked about the car having 100% of gasoline in it, but who's checking the water? Who's checking the oil pressure, the temperature? Who's checking that the tires are pumped up? So I think a lot of the time we think about, oh, you know, have you had enough sleep? Have you had enough food? Are you getting enough exercise? Have you had enough cuddles? Have you cuddles? <laughs> written in a journal lately? Have you watched a comedy DVD? Have you have you played with the cat? Have you sat in silence for 30 seconds? I don't care if you have to sit on the loo. Mm -hmm. Sat 30 seconds in silence mm -hmm. and just... <sighs> yeah. There are all these needs we don't know how to meet. We don't even know we have to meet them. Mm -hmm. And yet we wonder why we're not coping, feeling like we're capable of stuff. Mm -hmm. Again, this is all part of... Although I do not support people while they are in that mental health crisis what I learned from being in my own mental health crisis and, and learning about the psychology and the neuroscience of things was none of us are taught to use the powers within us, to use our secret weapon, to use how our mind works, how our thoughts can shape things, gratitude practice, visioning things, writing in journals. We're not taught any of these techniques that when you look at the science behind them, shows that it can make our lives better. That's a really good point. And I like how you talked about all the things that we can do mm -hmm. instead of all the things that we shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. So thinking about goal setting, thinking about success, I like to think about the system of doing something towards rather than against. So again, we know in sort of how the human brain works, we have something called a negative bias, um, which is a concept in psychology that is that we will, our brains will put more emphasis on and pay more attention to something that is negative than something that's positive. Because if we are going out as a caveman looking at a beautiful flower and we don't pay attention to the saber-toothed tiger, we're not gonna survive very long. Mm -hmm. So this is a survival instinct that has been, is in, is in our brains, right at, the, right at the deep animalistic sort of part of our brain that is instinctual, but it means that we pay attention when we get 50 good comments saying, this is an amazing episode of whatever, and we get one saying, oh, this was a waste of my time. We almost feel they're equal, even though it's one to 50 because we have this bias where our body is trying to protect us. Our mind is trying to ensure we don't miss a threat. Mm -hmm. But it means that we then tend to remember, tend to put more emphasis on and, and focus on and feel mm -hmm. like the negative things are bigger. So it's very common for us to feel like that. But equally, we tend to, and we tend to focus on things that are negative. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you can almost not eliminate, but like, minimize the amount of negativity that you put in front of yourself it gives you that space to focus on the positives so i don't tend to think oh i need i haven't done this today i literally prioritize 
in I have a system of prioritizing the positives and it doesn't mean I don't ever get the negatives right. but it is yeah have I had a glass of water today not oh you know oh I've eaten that biscuit and it wasn't good for my health and it doesn't change sort of I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's it's that sort of balance of it. And again, I don't, I'm not saying we're going to lie to ourselves and all positive thinking is right. the best and all of this, but actually, if the situation is the same and I can feel a bit better about it, which means I'll then act on it and do something positive about it, I'm going to pick that option. I completely agree. Yeah, I feel like my my last bout with the right kind of therapist helped me with that tremendously because like, I, I just went on a vacation this summer and in the past, if any anxiety was present, it tainted the whole experience. But this, like with this therapy, I'm learning like anxiety will be present. It is like a, a non-negotiable. But I was still able to come back from the trip and go, it was amazing. Like the fact that I was able to, I said, that's how I knew therapy was wor working. Like after that summer trip. And I was like, no, I was full blown 10 on the anxiety scale. But I I knew how to calm myself down and we still had a good time. And I made a choice in the next moment to enjoy the next moment. And I, and I came back and was like, it was great. Like that was life changing for me. And it, it happens too. It used to happen on, on my type A with the list. If I didn't get to every check on my list, I would beat myself up about what I didn't do. But I've been so good at going, but you needed that rest. You needed not to do those three things. Good job. And like just refraining to know that I, I honored the true, my, what my true self needed as opposed to what the list needed. So that's what you just said. I think I, therapy helped me do much better that I couldn't do myself. I, you know, it didn't come naturally to me. So it's a form of reinvention right. and redefinition in a way. You're redefining what that looks like. So that isn't slacking, that's rest. Right. Or, or but that's the term I would have used right. myself a few years back. But yeah, and I think it's interesting you said that you chose in the next moment to be sort of to read to start again as it were in that next moment because my difficulty when I look back over my days so I use a, an app called Dailyo it's just an Android app where you pick a smiley face mm -hmm. for the day and I've been using it for about three and a half years now just to get an idea right. of where my ups and downs are and I went from having you know one rad which is my version for really good <laughs> one rad day a month to sort of three or four five six a month not necessarily in a row I think I've only had three in a row but I realized that what it was is that something bad could happen to me at 8.30 at night and it would wreck the day in my diary. When I, when I went to log the whole day, I would put it at meh. Yeah. When actually the day had been fine and even probably very good. But then if something had happened, which is usually because I got too tired, I got too hungry, I dropped, spilt the dinner, you know, all those little things that we talked about. But that would ruin the day for me. And my hope has talked very much about having those, you know, if you can't find a golden moment, find a yellow moment, find something that just focus on what over the course of the day, how was my mood? Not just thinking in that moment of that negative, you know, I've been feeling like rubbish for half an hour. Yes, I, really I identify like that. with that. I identify with that a lot now. Yeah. And I feel like that's like, because your website is called Rooted Reinvention. And I love that that's, the root means you're staying in one place, but the reinvention means, you know, so that's kind of what Kristen was saying. And then we, so we could just spend these next few minutes of the, you know, podcast, however you want, but like talking about change, what does the rooted reinvention mean to you? Or like, even what you were just saying about the day, like gratitude being like the highlight kind of, of your philosophy, I guess. So you kind of pick, <laughs> I feel like we could go whichever way you want. So I feel like gratitude is one tool in the toolkit. Um, 
I guess it's something that I've never shied away from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I did recently put a blog post about it um, yeah. because I was sort of like, I need to get this out of my head and share this. But I mean, the main the main tool that I want, I guess I tend to think about is that uh, the way our brains work is through habits. Right. And therefore, when we're changing habits, we have to, we're actually rewiring the structure of our brain. So we have little wires that go from one part to the other. And the more we do a particular action or event or think something, the stronger the wire gets, it becomes sort of faster, it gets sort of more efficient. And in order to then break it, it requires a lot more um, or a lot less of it. So you almost need to completely abstain from doing whatever it was that that was connecting that wire Mm -hmm. before it'll even weaken, let alone disconnect. So I think when we're thinking about change, Although we are made for change, so our, our, our brains are designed to make new connections, if the old connection you know, is a beautifully strong wire with a, a strong myelin sheath, which is a thing that means that the signals go faster, mm-hmm. they take less energy to use, it's sort of almost like a shorter path, compared with one where really it's just starting to come out and it's a bit wiggly, and then actually, of course, we're going to find it harder to do the new thing than the old mm-hmm. thing. Um, which is partly why they talk about when you're making sort of habits and things that you want to like stack them. So you want to like, oh, if you already brush your teeth every day at this time, then add on your five minute meditation to your teeth brushing exercise because right. it's easier to build on something that's already there than start afresh. And I think that when we change our life, it's very difficult. And almost like you were saying earlier, like how do we change our life without changing our whole life? Um, and I'm very much a proponent of the baby steps kind of formula so making those small shifts so I think it was in 2015 2016 I just stopped having sugary breakfast cereal because I wanted to make sure that I was being a bit healthier and I just had plain porridge or plain Weetabix and those are my two options and I've actually my tastes have changed that right. that's it's too sugary for me now but that was the only change I made I didn't go on a diet right. I didn't shift I didn't exercise more I didn't do anything else it was just that t- baby change and I don't even think about it now and I enjoy it a lot more than I used to. Like I'd say I enjoy my Weetabix every morning more than I used to enjoy chocolate cereal. Yeah. And I think, again, we're not taught about doing baby steps. We're taught about breaking things down, having a big goal and breaking it down. But we're not taught if we don't have a big goal, if we don't know what we want, if we don't know where we're going to end up, mm-hmm. we're not taught how to just grow the next little bit. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm going to make a yeah. list of all the things we got to teach kids in school. It's, <laughs> it's baby steps. It's, you know, <laughs> like intrusive thoughts will happen. Like all these things. I, I, it's true. But I think that is such a good point is that, you know, if you want to be healthier, you don't need to start shopping at Whole Foods exclusively and make every single meal at home, only eat protein shakes, go to the gym every single day before and after work. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can just do a couple little things here and there. Or you can literally just do one thing. And then decide later on if you want to do another thing. If right. that first thing is successful, then add a second thing onto your first thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of, like, the new routine and the new habit kind of 
thread that we had going on there too and like what you're saying like like I don't know I think I feel like humans sometimes struggle with like every little decision feeling like it's either a threat or an addition or an addition to like their identity you know and then how do I explain that if like if I'm if I I don't mean with soda but even me like when I think about soda I when I talk to people I go oh I'm not a soda drinker like why do I make that a part of my identity like if I were to choose something different would that be a big deal or if I were to try a new habit like I'm almost like well when do I like when I started running I ran like uh, in my early 20s my mid 20s and I was like well when can I call myself a runner like it was like this I always do this like my weird thing in my head and it's like well I'm only trying this and I I'm just starting it and like you know what I mean like right. I feel when like, are you officially a runner do you have to buy your running right, shoes right. like what does that even a mile mean? in a certain time like exactly right so I think like we as human beings, we get tripped up on that sometimes. It's like, well, if I'm not going to be willing to work this into my identity, then why would I try this habit? Like, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes that could happen. And if you don't ever think that you can belong to that identity group, then you don't even want to try the thing that that identity group is. Right. But like, what, what is the big deal about identity anyway? Like trial and error is a thing too. Like we're just so weird. (laughs) Hands so far, yeah. shrug emoji, big shrug emoji, big shrug emoji mood. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely, we like to label, but we also look for patterns in things. So again, one of the things that saves our, makes our brain kind of efficient is that we are looking for patterns where stereotypes come from right. and kind of the assumptions we make and things like that. But actually when you're thinking about that, so I'm a writer and I started calling myself a writer pretty immediately and then felt guilty any day I wasn't writing because what kind of writer was I right exactly. so I almost did the opposite thing of you where I was like oh I'm, gonna, I'm a writer now I'm writing because yeah. writers write and then like I'd have a like an hour or a day where I didn't write and be like I'm not a writer right, the emotional anymore. response to like declaring that in your mind I know I agree I am loving your like uh psychological it sounds like Yes, psychological. I'm loving your psychological input because I just feel like you're reminding us that this is based off something from the beginning of time. Like, it's good to know that, like, that's why humans are so strange because our brains used to be wired for something completely different. Now we live in this world where, like, things are, like, in our face all the time, too much stimulus. Where our cats are just on the desk instead of, like, behind rocks (laughs) trying to eat us. You know, I've been thinking that the reason my cats haven't come is because five o'clock is their time too. And it's not five o'clock here, but it is yours there. And that's what it is. We usually do late night podcasts, but if you look, they're all sleeping. The two of them are like, they're having their Saturday afternoon cat nap. But at five o'clock they would be up in my grill. Yeah. Yeah. She's been down downstairs just soaking up the sun. It's quite autumnal, but it's still sunny. So she's at the opposite window and now she's like, Oh, it's gone in now. It's it's getting cold. (laughs) Because my cats literally do the same thing. So funny. You made me. You made me think. There. One of the things that thinking about teaching children in schools, some of the things that we do sort of teach them. Um, so I think about. I used to work with children and family in a children family centre, and they would literally put everything in order of what they were going to do next. Mm-hmm. And then I think about The Sims, which mm-hmm. I used to play. Love that game. And you would literally have, you know, the cook, uh, the fridge, then the counter, then the cooker, <laughs> and then the counter because it used up less energy for the sim right. if it was all in order. We do that with children. So we'll say, here's the play equipment, and the, and the dressing up equipment is right next to the kitchen. The chef, I think, is next to the kitchen. And then we go out as teenagers and young adults and things, 
and nothing is in line. So we've kind of been trained as children that this is a system, this is how things go, this is the flow. And then we go out into the real world and, you know, go into a house and, you know, rent a, rent a flat and find the kitchen and the cooker and the fridge are on the opposite side and think, who designed this kitchen? <laughs> like, I'm using that as a bit of a silly idea, but like the concept of we do teach our children that things flow and that there's a, a um, an order to things. And then we throw them out in the world where there's just chaos and expect them to cope. Yeah, I mean, some of these kitchens that people have designed, like, <laughs> then it's I don't not know how anyone has ever expected. Needs, it's the design of the kitchen. Yeah, no, I. Yeah, how can you expect any reasonable person not to order out for all of their meals when you put a, some of these kitchens? I mean, like, yeah. it's crazy. My grandma's been the cook in her family for like years. She's eighty-four now, so she's been cooking for like eight decades, and she's just like. She goes, I can walk into a kitchen and know if a non-cooker has, like, designed it. Because yes. <laughs> she's yeah. like, because they'll, yeah, things will be all wrong. All wrong. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And on a bigger level, we end up with decision fatigue. Yes. It's pretty much what you were sharing. We've got that kind of, oh, do I go here or here? Do I do, do that or that? And it's partly that we weren't trained to manage decisions as yeah. children and in schools and things. Yeah. So we have the decision fatigue about, oh, I don't know, what to wear and it can be anything and everything what to eat you know yeah even the flavors of tea because i don't drink traditional tea or coffee i drink herbal Mm -hmm. green tea and things but i've got green tea with coconut green tea with lemon green tea with jasmine plain green tea and i think sometimes i'm just like yep (laughs) yeah it's that like moving to the next moment lesson like eat just make a decision let's move to the next one like it's better to get to the next moment than to dwell and to be paralyzed and yeah well like and when we're thinking about reinvention and what we want to be in our future or where we want to go in our goals, it is that decision fatigue of, oh, I don't, I, I need, I don't want to right. take the wrong path. I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to have to backtrack. I don't want to have to undo 20 years of my life. Yes. Yeah. Decision fatigue is one of the things that I think people really, really, really need to learn how to combat. I know it is one of my biggest struggles and like not necessarily on a daily basis anymore because I found out that it was one of my biggest struggles and so I actively work to not have to make as many decisions as I would otherwise normally have to so like you you know you were saying in the morning you only have two breakfast choices samesies um like if Jeff is up and he'll make me like a miniature sausage sandwich with an egg on it, or I'll have breakfast cookies from Belvita because they're amazing. And there's only one kind that I like. And so like, so at the grocery store, I don't have to think of, Oh, well, you know, what are the things at the grocery store that I could possibly get for breakfast? And you know, here are a million choices. So like, no, that's not something that I need in my life is 50 different choices for breakfast on a work morning. I know that I need to eat food. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to, you know, have a day. Right. And I need to have a day. Having a day is infinitely more important than what the hell I eat for breakfast. Yeah. I just need food. Yeah. And, like, I'm somebody who loves food. I love food so much. I love food so much that I grow it in (laughs) my yard. And then I cook it. And I spend so much time cooking food that, like, most people think it's ridiculous. 
but I don't need to spend that time cooking breakfast in the morning. Yeah. I just need to eat so that I feel like a normal person. But see, like, kind of what you just did was identifying that food is important to the part of your identity, like, to make known. And then that's the identity attachment. Is like, well, if I don't make the best breakfast, how is that going to affect my identity? Kind of, right? Well, and like, yeah. but, and, and also, I'm recognizing that food is important to me. It's so important that eating it is important to me in the mornings. Not deciding what kind of energy and like creativity I can put into it in the morning. Because also in the morning, I would run into the same kind of thing that we've talked about all episode long of if I'm hungry or angry or tired or any of those things, a mistake, like a mistake is more likely to happen and more likely to get anxious. And then my day is more likely to be bad. Whereas if I eat something first thing, who cares what it is as long as it's, you know, good enough. And like the two things that I've, you know, decided on are good enough and they can be eaten and made in 10 or 15 minutes. Awesome. That leaves me with so much of my day to do my work and then I get to, you know, make an awesome dinner, which then I can have leftovers for lunch. And like, that's my system. It's, I've taken my decision making out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I love deciding what we're going to have for dinner. And also deciding seven meals a week, that's enough for me. <laughs> I don't need to decide like 20 meals a week. That's way too many decisions for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you're allowed to decide how many decisions you want to make. So if you want to make three decisions, then make three decisions. Yeah. Let yeah. somebody else make the other decision. Like, I know this was a big thing that I learned early on in my relationship was Jeff would ask, where do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? What do you want to do? And then I would say, I don't know. I don't care. I've learned to say, I would like to not make a decision. Because that. that's what I want. Sometimes, like, I literally don't care. But, you know, sometimes we say I don't care, but we really do care. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes what I want most is to not have to make a decision. And so just... I saw a meme somewhere that said, I'm a person who says I'm up for anything a lot for a person who's only up for naps. Like, for like, it was like a list of like ridiculous like things. Like, it was funny. It's like, but I'm up for anything. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a nap on a Saturday yeah. with my cat on top of me. Yeah, it's funny. It sounds good. Yeah, and I think we... So thinking about even just... I mean, we looked at like success and stuff at, at uni when we, and you talk about um, Steve Jobs and, and uh, Bill Gates and all the people who are seen as like successful or like even like businessmen who you wouldn't think would be necessarily aware of things, I suppose, you know, you think, oh, what if they go out and they run a, you know, a technological company, but they have the same shirt, they have the same outfit for four sets, the same shirt and the same trousers, and they do not wear anything else. That's their uniform because it means they don't have to waste their mental capacity and their um, their space thinking about what they're going to wear today. Yep. Um, and also, you, I just thought, as you were talking through, um, one of the questions I always ask myself when I start to feel a bit anxious or like things aren't going well is halt. So it's hungry, 
angry, lonely, or tired? Yes. So am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Which is again thinking about those four things that I didn't even know that were core needs that I should probably reflect on. Do I need these? Have I met these needs? Um, so that's another thing that we want to. Te- I want to teach in schools. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, but the decision fatigue is a big one. And again, we studies show us that we only have a certain amount of reserve for kind of making decisions. Um, I'm fairly sure it's to do with dopamine and the reward pathway, but some someone's done the research and said actually, yeah, we spend a lot of we're wasting a lot of our brain's capacity and our mental time and energy on decisions that actually don't matter mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of our life. And it means we struggle with the bigger decisions. So that's another one where maybe some reflection would be beneficial to actually say what decisions, you know, thinking about the to-do list, what's the most important thing I want to get done? What's the the, the things that I want to put my attention on? Totally. I love that I, that connection to, like, the major moguls wearing, a, like, a uniform. Like, that's, I never realized, and you're right. Yeah, you're and right. A lot, um, I've been reading a lot that a bunch of people do intermittent fasting for the same reason. Why? Which is you only so not eat. Think. That, yes. Oh. You know, I only eat between the hours of 1, 8, 1 p.m. and 8 p.m. So that, you know, I don't have to think about eating otherwise. I which see. I can't do because of my <laughs> headache. But, yeah. you know, it's... There's it's, also some theories about it, the way that your brain... Because, again, as cavemen, we wouldn't have eaten three times a day. So thinking about how your brain uses resources... And your body uses resources there is some suggestion although again depends what research you look at and it doesn't work for everyone jeff loves it um yeah i try to do a sort of 14 hour fasting window with sleeping in the middle but if i don't feel like it i'm not right. and particularly like like you say around the pms time you're just like mm, yeah, whatever yeah. <laughs> it just that like that, <laughs> yeah, that is yeah yeah god men's bodies are so much easier like when it comes to functioning just, <laughs> right like losing weight and just like making it look the way you want it to they have different struggles because again looking at the science but they do the, have different struggles society, but society puts very much on the things they find easier than men's bodies are better yes. at women's bodies. That, like you say that's exactly what it is life. and that's it right that's exactly what it is um you hit the nail exactly right on the head their struggles are different and they're also, I feel like the, the struggles of women are maximized by society. And then to combat those struggles, it's just so goddamn hard, man. But yeah, no. I think right. Things are changing, though. The amount of young men who are having eating disorder issues and things, oh. I do think there are things that are shifting in terms of what's acceptable, what's appropriate, and, and how how we treat our bodies and things like that is definitely changing, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily like a good thing. No. And then like, that's another thing we should talk about in schools is eating disorders, especially yeah. for young men, because we don't talk about like what healthy eating looks like so that when we have disordered eating, people don't even know what disordered eating looks like. We don't talk about what anything healthy looks like, though. This is, again, thinking about we are not taught 
about well-being until we have a mental health problem we are not taught about healthy eating until there's an obesity crisis we are not taught about healthy relationships until that there is a domestic abuse level so high we are not taught any of this in schools we are not taught how to reflect on what's working for us look at our own health look at we're not uh, I'd love it if we were as children kind of they did blood tests and like that and said oh you're sort of pre-diabetic you're blah blah you're blah blah and and looked at what we like what we're good at what we're what our bodies are made for and said well why don't you try this and why don't you try this and kind of almost made a plan for life that let us reach our potential without making it hard basically you know using what is already natural for us as humans I mean, I've slightly gone a little bit over the top and dramatic with it, but the, the idea that we are not taught how to use any of the skills. We're not taught how to use our brains properly. We're not taught how to use our bodies properly. We're not taught about nutrition properly. We're not taught how we should have relationships with other people in a healthy way or food in a healthy way or television in a healthy way or social media and the impact. And the, again, I work with a lot of teenagers and the social media and the bullying and things like that is I can't even believe it. You know, I'm, I'm not even twice their age and I'm looking at some of these things going, what on earth? This would never have happened sort of 10, 15 years ago. Same. And we're just, none, no one's, no one's, we have the research, but no one in power is, is able to or is currently Willing sharing to, that knowledge. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things, again, I, I'm very much around, I do not work with people in, in mental health sort of crisis and things like that. But I do think that well-being is a part of life that we should probably be looking at a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Well-being is something that we should be, because it's so much easier to take care of problems before they're problems <laughs> instead of trying to manage crisis on top of crisis on top of crisis. Because when you're going through a mental health crisis, it's not usually the only thing you're going through. Right. Like, it's not... Usually when you have crisis, it's not like... A bunch of things are piling on each other. Right, it's not this isolated incident right. that you can just pull out and say, like, okay, now let's examine this crisis over here and say, you can do this to, you know, take two Tylenol and your mental health crisis is fixed. Mm -hmm. And so you can't even, even if, you know, even if you go to a therapist, even like, God, three times a week, which is right. a lot, you're not even going to be able to, it's just, well, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth, right. you know, a ton. Yeah. And it's also so much easier to understand these things when you're not going through a crisis. Right. When yeah. we did the mental health episode like a while back, I remember thinking of like the analogy of a tsunami, like the mental health hitting is like a tsunami, but like, you're like, but I'm a good swimmer. Like, even if you're a good swimmer, like you can't outswim a tsunami. But I feel like if we taught these kids from an earlier age, they would know how to build the structure to keep safe from the tsunami. Like they would have the skill. You'd have a tsunami warning Right, system. right, right. And it would be like, because now I feel like people think, well, I'm a good swimmer. Like I could hit. Like it's, but you can't. Like you need something more than that. I don't know. And I think so. Thinking of you, Kristen, in terms of if as a child you had been taught, whenever we have a thought like you're not good enough, this isn't enough, you sh it's not safe to be seen, whatever whatever negative thoughts that come up, and I'm using those examples because they've been mine in the past. If we were taught that at the age of five, 
this is this is a thought not a fact let's look at the evidence of this how true is it what's making you feel this way and like you say almost unpicking um like that child who cried for 30 minutes because they got the maths problem wrong if we unpick all the different aspects of it and then we can apply little bits so yeah two Tylenol is not going to fix the whole lot but if we can put two Tylenol in this to calm you down so that you can then question your thoughts so that you can then take a nap so that you can then do a bit of meditation and a bit of journaling and then come up with a plan so that you've got your tsunami warning system just to remove all of those analogies <laughs> together but then actually we can again baby steps but it all adds up yes and again I think that we don't integrate we're not holistic enough mm-hmm. in terms of when we look at things and the things that are being taught in schools so certainly here in England we're having a lot of arguments going on in politics about teaching children in sort of kindergarten and preschool about healthy relationships mm-hmm. and about sort of LGBT and different relationships and there's a lot of opinions on that sort of thing and I'm not even going to go there but the idea that we aren't willing to talk about things that children are already asking children already seeing children already questioning children already experiencing and we won't talk about it and we won't even look at the whole person they're already going out in this world going well no one's telling me what's going on how can i trust what's going to happen how can i trust that i mean even just the way we talk about things i think and our language is another massive thing that i keep wanting to write about but get very caught up in the language i'm using and thus don't publish the posts mm. i'm good at that i understand that but, completely <laughs> but very much the language we use and around what are we sharing what we're we saying so when i've worked with parents and they say so you say i oh, will do it in a minute and then you don't do it will they believe you when you say it next time will they believe you when they say you are safe with me will they believe you when they say it's okay i'll love you no matter what actually the things that we use in our language is so impactful on our sense of self our sense of security how the world works particularly as children but even as adults and trust and communication i just think we need to be looking at everything holistically equally i don't know where on earth i would start so i also can't tell them off for not starting it but i think we're we were getting more aware that this is an issue but we i say i i kind of i want to make a bit of a a shift in the way that we look at well-being i guess but from this point of staying rooted reflection and actually reinvention and evolution of people if that makes any sense absolutely it makes a ton of sense i love it so much so much (laughs) i love it so this season we have been asking everybody about reflection we've been talking about it all episode long but I'd love to know a couple of ways that you've been bringing reflection into your personal life or creative practice. So I have been attempting to reflect more in terms of writing stuff down. So I both have attempted, well, I have attempted morning pages, that doesn't really sit with me, but like at least writing something every week or so about what's going on um, from my sort of post-therapy side of work I do whenever I'm particularly upset I've got a notebook that I go and write stuff down so that I've got it kind of to reflect on um and I think tracking is probably the biggest thing for me so I'm not like a bullet journaler um as much as I love it and I've got a load of washi tape that I've not really used um and I love my stationery um I do like the idea of tracking again we know from sort of science that people who track their goals and track what's going on for them are more likely to achieve them they're more likely to kind of stay on course but I think reflecting on how something made me feel what I did today to do it even if particularly on my worst days when I was struggling I would say let's just make this not as what can I do to make this not a zero for the day and things like that so I think 
reflecting on even the small things that have made stuff not a zero, made the progress 0.1 forward, um, is something so particularly, yeah, writing, I don't feel like I'm answering the question, but whatever. No, you um, are, yeah. down stuff with, you know, journaling practice, but also keeping a note. So I suppose I do have a gratitude thing of something each day. And it can just be a small win. Um, and Kristen knows we've in the inner circle this year, they've um, put pages um, in the workbook that have a, a win, a highlight and a gratitude section. And I usually just put three positive things that have happened that day or that I liked that day in there. Um, so I'm kind of tracking that a little bit, but I don't know how that's, that's quite new for me. But I think just, I am one of those overthinkers who is quite reflective. Right. And I think I've always reflected on stuff. I've always assumed that things are going to have a big impact. So when someone says something to me, I didn't used to forgive them very easily because they said that and that was the truth. And I feel like actually reflection isn't something I need to always bring in more, but I need to pay attention to what I'm getting out of it. Mm. So I've always been someone to question and to look back and to, you know, as I say, like for me, reflection is a massive thing we're not taught in schools and that we, it is a secret secret weapon in a way if I can reflect on all the things I've loved doing in my life and use that to guide me through my career path rather than what I got A's in mm-hmm. um at school that's a great answer yeah that was both reflective and tangible and <laughs> yeah. it was just really good I need more notebooks Thanks. I don't need, I, I literally <laughs> do not need more notebooks I mean god oh you wow you need to write in more of you already have notebooks Oh, I, I look so at don't there. need to do that either. Oh. Do you know how many notebooks oh. I have half written in? And also, oh no, I, I have all my notebooks are fresh because I need to think <laughs> a perfect idea before I write in them. I have like seventy-five <laughs> notebooks that are half written in. Decision fatigue wraps its ugly head back. Of in course, there. it does, right? Yeah. It does again. And then, like, which notebook <laughs> do I write in this time? <laughs> All right, let's see more decision fatigue. I'm going to give you a currently round, and you're going to make decisions about okay. what to say. Okay. <laughs> but um, currently round, based off of Kristen's currently card, you can get it at theawesomeladiesproject.com for our listeners who are interested, and we do it on the podcast. Are you ready, girl? Yeah. Here we go. What are you currently watching? Uh, I mostly watch YouTube rather than TV, sure. but lately, because as they're deciding the Brexit uh, outcome today in Parliament, I've been watching UK TV Parliament mm. today. <laughs> When will you know? Later today? Uh, depends. So later today, if they decide yes, and if no, who knows? That's a that's a that's a hilarious. I speaking of decision fatigue, yeah. <laughs> three years later. <laughs> yes, speaking of decision fatigue, right? Okay, well that's going to be fun. I'm going to put that on when we get off of here. <laughs> what are you currently reading? Uh, I recently found a young adult fiction book called The Spirit Rebellion and I still had the, I quite like to read multiple books at a time and I always have done, but I was like, oh, I need to finish this book. I remember this book. And I went to log it on Goodreads that I was going to start reading it again from halfway through. And it tells me I started it in 2012. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's by Rachel Aaron. It's good fun. (laughs) What are you currently listening to? Um, I mostly have been listening to Metal Step and Chill Step, kind of classic rock dubstep mixes. Nice. I find that they're very good for particularly like inspirational cleaning or writing yeah. music. Nice. What are you currently making? I'm currently making a story binder for NaNoWriMo. Nice. I do National Novel Writing Month. This is my 10th year. Very cool. Um, and I have won it the nine times I've done it. 
so the pressure is on but i'm currently <laughs> making the binder with like the characters and the setting and the plot nice very cool what are you currently feeling tired that's <laughs> allowed um, yeah <laughs> well i was off sick at the beginning of the week from day job so i think well going back to it and then having the weekend i'm just like <sighs> but yeah um it will be it's all it's a it's a relief level of yeah. tiredness it's good that's nice. good what are you currently planning I am planning my NaNoWriMo plot yes. nice. in my head, to put in the I'm dreaming of yeah. it and everything. <laughs> That's exciting. And lastly, what are you currently loving? Uh, I'm loving the, the autumnal feels that we're getting here. So it was something like 42 degrees Fahrenheit this morning and I was like, oh, it's really cold. But look at the prettiness yeah. on like the windows. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I love that it's not too hot, but it's sunny. That's 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 England in, in autumn. I like that you converted it for us. Yeah. <laughs> Because I I can't I cannot do the conversions in my head. <laughs> there are like certain degrees that I know what they are. Yeah. But I can't I can't do all of them in my head. I'm working on the higher temperatures so that I know what the baking is. Yeah. Because I watch the Bake Off and I'm like I have no idea what that is. Um, I but think 200 is 400. 200 is 400. That sounds about that sounds about right because I know like like 180 is about 350. Right. Um. Or See, I I don't know the baking ones, but I know that 28 is 82 and 61 is 16. You just flip the numbers over. So for temperatures in a day, 61 is 16 and 28 is 82. But I actually am one of the very few people in England who uses Fahrenheit because as far as I'm concerned, if it's under 50, it's cold. <laughs> if it's above 50, it's warm. And if it's above 75, it's too hot <laughs> for me. But yeah, people are doing like 18. I'm like, it doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I appreciate that I'm very rare in that sense. I like it. Yeah, no, it's going to get, uh, it's going to, it's 60 now outside in Michigan in the end of October, which is very warm. So I need mm. to do a bit of outside stuff before it gets legit freezing. My pet worms are outside and I need to bring them inside before they freeze to death. Which, yeah. I mean, I guess I could always just get more pet worms again Aww. next spring. But like... Yeah, if you don't have to, then don't. <laughs> exactly. I could, you know, they're awesome. I They make me dirt. Then I don't have to buy more dirt. Thanks, worms. Sounds win-win to me. Right? Decision fatigue. Where do I have to go and buy? I mean, like, you know, the dirt store, but. Yeah. So I think your decision fatigue answer is go and bring them in. <laughs> Take the whole thing apart. Bring them inside. Grow more plants inside. So that's my plan. I'm Sounds so excited. This is plants been... are so good for our well-being as well. It is. <laughs> they are really good. And it'll be amazing for the winter to have live things growing inside. Yeah. So I'm great for oxygen. Great for your physical health, mental health. Yeah. Exactly. Here. All of the oxygen that I take out, <laughs> they will take in and will help us, you know, circulate the air. This is a yeah. plug awesome. for worms for pets, everybody. Worms for pets. <laughs> Even if you kill them, they will create two more later on. You can chop them in half and then they become two pets. Oh, boy. I, you can. I'm, I'm not going to try that with my cat. <laughs> no, don't. No, definitely not. Only worms. Only worms. Only worms. Okay. Um, this has been a wonderful episode. I'm so excited. Fun. We're going to go to After Chatter and talk about something else hilarious, I'm sure. So go to craftyassfemale.com slash Patreon and see the hilarious things that we're doing if you're not already a Patreon member. Um, and if you are, come to patreon.com slash craftyassfemale and join us for this adorable conversation and catch the episode. And we have a 
brand new group at the Awesome Ladies Project. So you can come and chat with us and join all this awesome fun stuff. So go to the awesomeladiesproject.com slash craftyassfemale and you can join our free group and chat all the, the awesome things because the awesomeladiesproject.com website is easier to use than the Patreon website. And it's free and you can come chat with us and we can talk about this amazing episode and all of our amazing episodes. So come join all of the free things that we have for you. Because we love you and this is an amazing community and we love our podcast listeners and all of our amazing guests. We have the best guests. So... Let's go to After Chatter, and guys, we'll be back next week with an amazing episode. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes, go do that so more people can find the podcast. Go uh, to your iTunes app or podcast app, however you leave reviews. You can do it on the computer, too. Just leave us a really excellent five-star review so we can cancel out all the ones that are one-star and say that I don't like how many times <laughs> Kristen says like. So, But I digress. We'll be back next week. We love you very much. And we hope that you have an amazing rest of your week. And we'll catch you later on. Bye, guys. Bye.